Right, here we go. And again, we've been told we've got to keep keep to the two minutes. I know David Pike's particularly looking forward to <laughs> speaking on the first subject, which is the Asian Racing Conference, which took place in Melbourne this week. However, Neil Channing, he threw up some very interesting mm. addresses, not least from the chairman of the International Federation of Horse Racing Authorities and the boss of Hong Kong Racing, all-powerful financially across the globe, Winfried Engelbrecht Breskes. Yeah, he had a few things to say. Um, he, made a, he made a couple of comments about some stats. Uh, he said that... Uh, 55% of the money, I think I'm going to get it right, I think, 55% of the money bet in racing is bet by people over the age of 60, I think it was. Did really? I get that quite as right? Much as that. And only 1% was bet by people under the age of 25, which he uh, rightly, I guess, perceived to be a, a massive problem for the future of the sport worldwide. If you can't get the young people to engage, who the hell is going to be watching racing in 20 years' time uh, when the, the over-65s are doing less betting? So uh, that was kind of worrying. And he led that on to talk about the whip, uh, which obviously everyone likes to talk about at all times. Particularly Tom um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but he, yeah, Yeah, he's been to a few meetings. But, um, yeah, no, he was basically saying, well, you know, this is partly why uh, in, in the UK, the BHA... Uh, thinking the way they're thinking about the whip because, you know, we've always got to be considering the future generation. And I've noticed on my social media this week, I'm, I'm kind of slightly going off of the Asian Raising Conference onto the whip, but a lot of people seem to be sort of saying, oh, we can't win over the antis, the, these people are not win-overable, if that's a word. Um, but that's not really the point, is it? The point is about the people who are currently, you know, 14, 15, 16, 17. To convince the indifferent, uh, you mean? Well, not just that, but to convince the people who are not even old enough to have a bet yet or be that interested in racing, who are going to become, you know, the potential target audience in five, six, seven, eight years' time, that this is not a cruel sport. That said, and we'll just roll this on to the next topic, which is the chief executive of the... British Horse Racing Authority, Julie Harrington, because in her speech at the Asian Racing Conference, Tom, she again majored on the whip and perception issues. And I thought it was a, um, clearly it's of the moment, but I thought to go all the way to Melbourne and to, uh, and to major on that was uh, interesting, shall we say? Yeah, I think it was, well, probably slightly unfortunate. Um, I'm not sure it was perhaps the correct thing to do, but look, at the moment, there's a lot of debate, especially going on around here. And I think you know, Neil's touched on it going forward. You know, the, the problems we have within racing and, and whatever is, is what we're doing to go forward. So much has changed in the last 20 years that we've basically slept walked around. Um, you know, whether people's different people's betting habits, you know, the way animals are um, perceived and treated in, you know, in everyday life. You know, 30, 40 years ago, ponies, horses were part of you know, the rural, rural life. Mm. The rural life over this country is eradicating very, very quickly. Mm. You know, the pony clubs that I grew up in had, were 300 strong. Now they're 40, 50. That is frightening. The pony clubs, the show, local shows, mm. even in the last five, six years, that, that's all changed. So people's understanding of it mm. is lessening. And we haven't done enough about it. I don't think. But you, you and I were both on the 
whip steering group, as we're reminded of on, yeah. a, on a daily basis. Uh, I came out of that thinking that the BHA was more confident in the whip as a as a as a, a, a tool of encouragement than it had been going into it. Yet now the chief executive of the BHA goes to Melbourne and gives a speech which is all based on fear and perception uh, and fear of what people think of the sport or not embracing confidence in the sport, yeah, which I find uh, slightly confusing. Uh, I, I'd agree. We were there for it all and, and going through it all and, and, and the arguments that was made for its place in the sport as encouragement, as safety. And you know, it wasn't an argument to win or anything like that, but we made the case for the moral status of why it should remain for encouragement. And I thought, well, as it turned out, we did. We made a particularly pertinent thing, and they, I believe, came along with us. So it's, it is sometimes frustrating to see mixed messages. Um, and the mixed messages to the point, David, where on the Jockey Club poster for Cheltenham, Rachel Blackmore's victory on Aplutar, uh, the whip that she was holding in her in her right hand has been airbrushed out of the poster that's uh, that it's appearing all across the the London Underground. How does that How does that make you feel? Um, it's, uh, it's wrong, isn't it? I mean, it's, um, I'm not sure it's the best um, poster. Uh, or they could have got a better poster than that, couldn't they? Um, so, I mean, look, it's um, always, these rules always need to be tweaked uh, and looked at. But um, in general, I think we do a very good job. But what about, I mean, what about the presentation of the image of the sport, Neil? I mean, can you understand why the Jockey Club, a big wide campaign, would airbrush a whip out of a picture? I mean, you know, we don't really know how that came about, whether the, the There's precedent for it. It happened in America about yeah, five years ago. I, I mean, and the posters have been up since December and people have only seemingly noticed it in the last few days. Um, uh, you know, and it's become a big talking point. I, I wondered a bit more about... You often hear people say, oh, you know, what racing needs is a, one supremo to take over the whole sport, a Barry Hearn figure to just say, right, this is what we're going to do and, and nobody can argue about it. Well, I, you know, I think in this instance of the whole whip thing, you know, you and Tom will know because you, I don't know how many meetings you had to go to, but I'd imagine quite a few. Um, and the process started, what, 20 months ago or something like that? I mean, it's, it's dragged on quite a long time and certainly all stakeholders uh, got to sort of have an opinion and there was a proper breadth of opinion. It kind of annoys me a bit to feel like some people, it looks like they just picked up the racing post last week and found out this was happening and got upset about it. Uh, when it was all announced, was it July or something like that? At the time, I remember it being barely a story on Luck on Sunday that it, it got announced and everyone was like, yeah, that seems fine, whatever. We were on our no summer holes at the, we were on our summer <laughs> we were on the summer at the time, holes, Neil. I mean, it was, That's why it was in the story the media, on here. In the media, it was no big deal, wasn't it? I just wanted, I was going to ask Tom a quick question. I know we're running at six seconds, but... Um, we've got a strict the, producer this how week. How much of a mandate <laughs> did you have from the PJA? Because obviously the, there are many, many jockeys, some flat, some jump, some young, some old. They all had presumably different views. How much were you going into that meeting feeling like... How the hell do I represent all of these people when they, they all feel so strongly and differently about it? So, contrary to what some of the things have been reported, um, there were groups set up among the PGA. Um, there were constant emails sent out um, during the process. Obviously, it was difficult because on one side, you're, having a, uh, you're, you're on the group and there are things that you're talking about that needed to remain within that group because there was nothing had been finalised. Sure. You know, when we were, we were talking about... Um, how we were going to go forward and, 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 and some things to say were to remain within that group 
but as much as myself and PJ McDonald, uh, who's the flat representative, were going back to the PGA, who were then filtering it through through messages and through emails. Now, whether things have been lost in translation on the way, a jockey's life is very busy. Whether they haven't checked some emails, whether etc. 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 But there are some cases where they were given information and they frankly haven't read it. Mm. Um, and in some cases, I'm afraid that's that's their own fault. Mm. And I think a lot of it as well, it's all very well, things look fantastic on paper when you hear about it, but when you start to feel that your um, profession is at risk and the fact that you know, it seems like a great idea, you're suddenly getting a tap on the shoulder for that particular ride in four weeks' time, you're not gonna be earning a living for five days, that gives you a kick up the backside and suddenly, oh, it's, it, it does affect me. Before, you're looking at thinking, yep, that makes perfect sense, I can cope with that. Sometimes people not only don't like change, perhaps can't accept change and don't feel they have to change, but I'm afraid every single walk of life, you have to do that. And you know, perception, however much we talk about, is irrelevant, it's not. We do have a license, we do have to show how we're improving, how we're going forward, and at the end of the day, it's what's best for the sport. But you can do that with openness, absolutely, transparency, and you can do it with confidence as well. Yeah. And I think quite a lot of what we were talking about betrays a somewhat lack of confidence. No, absolutely. You, you, you spoke about the other day, you know, the five main points or the 20 recommendations that we went through with the BHA, 19 of them were put through. 18 of them are completely common sense. There have been one or two little things that have been perhaps lost along the way and have caused great uproar and great noise. But actually, you know, I think the, the majority of what work the, the steering group did you know, was, was correct and uh, you know, it was it was brought upon us. There were reasons why we had to have the steering group. It wasn't a case that the BHA came to us. You know, government had gone to the BHA and said, you're going to have to improve certain mm. aspects of your own sport. They've done that. They're making an effort. And as I say, we came, I came away from it feeling comfortable in some things, but then you see what's happened over the, the weekend, over the, during the week um, over in Asia, and it, it does just does just make you question some some things sometimes how 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 we deal with with some of the processes. Machine Murphy came back this week, and he came back with a winner. He went to Chelmsford, and he got a pretty daring run up the up the inside and uh, rode a winner on his first ride back uh, for the horse watchers and Mick Appleby on Jupiter Express. And um, it seems from the the mood at Chelmsford that the, the punters certainly Neil were happy to have. A well, it was quite back. well backed in the day, wasn't it? I mean, all the like the, you know. I wish Tom had told us in advance because when people retire, when people come back and stuff, you know, when there's a story like mm. that, they always seem to win, don't they? Every well, it's a good job he didn't announce. There should have been a big plot, shouldn't there? You know, normally there's a big plot. The other jockeys know it's his last ride. Everybody piles on. Like Dickie Johnson, you were supposed to lose All that kind of thing, you know. But no, no, it was good. I saw slightly missed it. Did he say... Am I imagining that? Did I dream it? Did he say he's going to take out a jumps license? He's taken out a jumps license to what ride. What the hell's the that all about? Like to ride in the Cheltenham Chel Bumper, Chel I presume. Oh, Bumper, okay. Yeah. Oh, that's fair enough. I suppose. Would you now? If you had a, have you, you haven't got a runner in the Cheltenham Bumper this year, have you? Or no, have you? I could, no. If I did, I could have put him up now. Yeah. <laughs> would you? Would you have put him up? Yes. Ocean's a top man. Is, yeah. is he? Is he a jockey that you? 
impartially admire for his skills in the saddle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, he's a very good jockey. Um, and uh, obviously he's had his issues and hopefully he's sorted them out and he'll probably come back even stronger. If he does get riding the champion bumper, I hope he turns up before the race a little bit sooner than Kieran Fallon did. He just wandered in 20 minutes before riding refinement. <laughs> cool as you like. And that in, he wasn't faced. And that was, it was a real thing then as well, wasn't it? Yeah. Spencer, Spencer, Fallon. Yeah. Yeah. I think in that, in that particular one, those jockeys you mentioned rode in it. I think Pat, the late great Pat Smullen uh, had a few rides in it. I remember Michael Hills riding in it yeah. as well. Richard Hughes rode uh, Sergeant Reckless. I remember that. Um, so... You know, other than Jamie Spencer, they've all got a terrible record. Did in you race. win that one? <laughs> the bumper? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Was it Lieberman? Oh, yeah. We, uh, Lieberman? Did Lieberman he win the race that beat Pat Smullen? Mm. Mm. But Lieberman um, won Lieberman the bumper, did yeah. yeah, he won yeah. the bumper, yeah. 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 Never won another race afterwards, <laughs> I think. <laughs> Couldn't jump. All right, well, Sheen Murphy is back um, this week, and he um, seems intent on on only really talking... After the after the Dubai World Cup, wants to let his riding do the talking until then, and that's uh, I think probably pretty sensible for the time being. Uh, Ronan McNally has been doing plenty of talking. Uh, the man who was given a 12-year disqualification from the sport by the IHRB um, has announced his intention to appeal, and this is what he said to Johnny Ward on Racing TV earlier this week. The ban's been appealed. Uh, I'm abandoning the, the outcome of the charges. I'm abandoning, um, appealing the uh, the actual ban. It's totally unheard, uh, unheard of to get warned off for 12 years. The worst penalty in, in Irish racing. So I can't see how I'm the worst person that's ever come into Irish racing. There's a I lot. Guess it would end your career as well. Well, it's, it's a lifetime ban. I have to come back after 12 years. I have to uh, apply for a licence, which I probably would get rejected for. Uh, Tubbs will probably have his licence in four years to go riding. He's a very, very talented rider. Look, at I've nurtured him up from his one, two years of age. We'll go everywhere together. We'll do everything together. The thought of not being able to go onto the race course to saddle up his first horse or, or to be there to, to watch him coming in. It's, it's, it's not ain't a career. It's ain't a life for me. You know what I mean? And I can't imagine he'll even want to go racing probably me because just we're like two peas in a pod we're like best friends we're not even like father and son wherever I go he goes and it's uh, sad to think that 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 might be terminated there for I think it's very unfairly that's the I guess the hardest part you can't go racing like losing your license is one thing Johnny that's right you say right maybe you've done this you've done that you haven't done that that's irrelevant I said to the to the uh, the uh, Thank you. I said to the committee, you know, one thing's taking my license, I think, but the other thing's banning me from going racing. I said, me and Tubbs and my son, that's our life. We'll go racing regular. To think I couldn't go to Dern Royal to watch the big November meeting or couldn't go to take Tubbs. He's looking to go to Cheltenham this year. Well, in England, I've already been uh, been uh, banned, even though the appeal's painting and I'm not even banned in Ireland. So at the moment, as it stands, I can't even go to Cheltenham to watch Cheltenham this year. Like, I, I just cannot understand it, to be honest. It, it seems horrific. Uh, most people in Ireland can't understand it. I seem to have the whole country uh, supporting us there. That I, I was going to ask you, what has been the reaction among trainers and horsemen and women, I suppose? Uh, it's been funny there probably not many trainers want to really get too involved because everyone's a wee bit worried about their own position you know so I have a trainers probably not that many to be honest but I have a trainers ringing me uh, to give me a bit of support uh, a lot have maybe stood back because they're maybe fearfully getting too involved and, and drawing the attention towards themselves so uh, 
the, the general public's been amazing. Like, I have thousands of messages anywhere we go. We get a good reception there. People are saying it's, they can't believe of the, the, the severity of the ban. Ruby Walsh spoke brilliantly. Like, Ruby Walsh is no mug. Like, Ruby Walsh said he, he has read through these charges over and over and over, and the, the ban doesn't fit the crime. Kevin Blake said the same. Uh, you know, people that know just can't really get their head around the uh, severity of, of the warning off and things like that. And look, on appeal, I'm very confident this will be turned around because I can't see... I can't see how, how it can be upheld, you know, and I just pray that common sense maybe prevails and, and maybe we get a bit of justice. Yeah, without uh, getting into it, I suppose, if uh, the IHRE were to um, maybe punish others like they have here and look into retrospective form and all that, um, there'd be a lot of people in trouble, I think. Well, I'd say there's a lot of trainers maybe don't want to reach out to me because they're worried for themselves. If we start looking back at races two, three years ago and horses coming up through the handicap system and, and uh, horses going off uh, with big gambles, I said there's a lot of people in Ireland in trouble. So hopefully look at that law be turned around and that's not the, the avenue we're going to go down because I think Irish racing's in big, big trouble if that's a precedent that's going to be set going forward, you know. Ronan McNally speaking about his 12-year disqualification and the impact it will have on him and his family in announcing his intention to appeal. And the question here, uh, Tom, is about proportionality. Um, the charges are the charges, and the reasons set out are the reasons set out, but it's whether the, whether the ban, whether the 12-year ban, is proportional to the offences with which he's been charged. Look, everyone has the right to appeal, obviously, um, and if you're found guilty, you're going to get charged, and you have to accept that. But I agree there has to be common sense involved. 12 years does seem extremely harsh um, but look there are far cleverer minds than I probably sat on that board going through it and there's going to be far cleverer minds than I arguing on Ronan's behalf um, to go through the appeal so say 12 years does seem very very harsh but um, as I say you know, they've, they, it's not something that would be taken very lightly and you know, it, it does send a very very stark warning to those involved in the sport that if you're going to go down certain paths, then um, you're going to be treated accordingly. Yeah, I, what I hadn't realised, Neil, is that his, his ban is already effective in, mm. in Britain, even though it's still pending appeal in, in Ireland, which seems slightly strange. I'm, I'm, I'm all for reciprocity, but should it not be exact reciprocity either? Yeah, I, don't, I, I, I'm not quite, I didn't know that. And I, I, I know the, uh, the BHA uh, betting intelligence people, uh, they do the work for the IHRB, don't they, right, I, yes. I think. And so they're working very closely together. Uh, so they'll have obviously seen all the, the betting accounts and whatever. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, Irish racing is has government subsidy it's an industry as well as a sport as it is in the UK um, and people need to have confidence in the product and confidence if they're betting and I, I feel like the the thing with you know as a punter I, I, I it, lots of people think oh you know the gambling the kind of you know the kind of roguey element of the gambling is part of the Damon Runyon-esque thing is part of the appeal of racing but for me if I see a horse that's had you know six duck eggs where it was tailed off every time and then the next time it's four to five favorite in a 20 runner race uh, this turns people off the sport, doesn't it? But you're right, the proportionality, we're going to talk about Homer Scott in a minute, and you sort of say, well, hang on a minute, yeah. he just quietly handed in his licence while this man's getting banned for 12 years. Um, that, that doesn't quite add up either. So it's, it's, it's a tricky one. I, I don't know. I mean, I feel like with Ronan McAnally, he's kind of slightly rubbed the authorities' nose in it by 
he hasn't just quietly run a couple over the wrong distance and given them a bit of an easy, has he? He's really taken the mick. What do you think, David? <laughs> yeah, you might be. Yeah, you might be right with that. I mean, it does seem a very harsh, harsh ban, and obviously he's got to appeal. Um, you know, perhaps they make an example of him. That well, I was going to ask you, as you know, a, a shrewd trainer, someone who you know needs to get horses categorised to get them all to win. Would it make you think twice about about the way you campaign horses? The fact that you know that the, the authorities are clamping down on someone who's run run horses several times in maiden hurdles to no effect, and then they go and win handicaps. Well, everything's done within the rules. Yeah, I mean, it's just um, isn't it? Is so, it? What do you think, David? Do you think it's just is it just part of the game? Like you know, obviously, you know, you can have a horse that's bred to stay, and you you try it over a short trip to. Give it a bit of a warm-up yeah. run, and maybe it drops down the weights a little bit. Yeah, well, perhaps perhaps the the race planning, the the planning of the races needs to be different or something like that. I mean, it's, it's difficult when uh, you're a smaller trainer and you're buying a horse for five thousand, mm. and you're taking on in a maiden hurdle, you're taking on mm. in this country, Paul Nichols, Nicky Henderson, mm. or something in in Ireland, Willie Mullins, Gordon Elliott. You know, so you you know you have to get the best out of your horse whatever way that is within the rules um, to get it to win for your owner. And it's as simple as that. And that can, you feel, you feel that that can be undertaken within the rules? Uh, I, uh, everything we do is within the rules. Yeah, no, I, I mean, just generally. You feel, you feel that the, the framework of the sport is robust enough that you're able to get a horse in the right category, running against the right type of horses in its grade without, without having to stash... Twenty pounds up the up your sleeve from the handicap. Well, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah, no, exactly. I think you can do it. Of course, you do it within the rules, and um, you know, some horses are going to improve. Some horses are slow learners. Um, some, like you say, just want further in trip or stepping up in trip. Um, you don't want to play all your cards straight away. Mm. Um, and your point, Neil, was. Well, it's just a grey area between well, the two. Uh, no, sorry, bring it on. No, I was going to say, you're yeah, quite yeah. relativising this case yeah. of a 12-year disqualification, mm. not just a suspension, disqualification mm. uh, for, for Ronan McNally, mm. versus the story we read about in the Irish Independent uh, last week. Uh, it was another piece by, by the investigative journalist Paul Kimmage. This time it centred around the trainer Homer Scott, who won two Cheltenham Festival races back in the day. And allegations from a, a, a former member of his staff who had taken video evidence that she'd passed on to the Department for Food, Agriculture and the Marine and also to the IHRB uh, of the um, alleged mistreatment of horses in Homer Scott's care. A particular example, a pretty harrowing example, uh, she alleged of a, of a mare that was covered too quickly uh, after a losing a foal when foaling in the field. And the mare collapsed and was then... Uh, allegedly hung by a sling from the top of a barn. That was one of a number of mm. pretty shocking I mean, it was stories. Uh, it was absolutely dead horses, horrific. buried horses, yeah. horses being allegedly chewed by dogs and, and so yeah. forth. It was truly, truly shocking. Now, the, the nub of this story is that the IHRB have allowed Homer Scott to hand in his license without any further, further censure and, or, and or, still, a, still or a tribunal or a formal tribunal. And still has 50 horses that he's tribunal. looking after. He's not licensed, but he's got 50 horses mm. at home now, I read. So the, so the key question is, should there have been an a formal in and public inquiry well, rather hard, than just an allowing hard, of... Yeah, it's hard to... I mean, they, they've refused to comment on why he was allowed to just quietly hand in his licence. Um, I mean, that's just the obvious question, isn't it? Why? Uh, what, the, what the hell's going on? I mean, David, you're someone who looks after horses. I, I mean, this is the very essence of, of, of the game, isn't it? The way... We, we, we must be expected to look after horses properly. 
and for the authorities to, to police that effectively? Yes, it's got to be policed correctly, yes. I mean, you go into 99% of the yards and they are, they are loved for their care. They're in five-star hotels. By, they're loved by the girls that um, look after them. Um, so, uh, yeah, but there's always going to be the odd one, isn't there, unfortunately, in any, any walk of life. Uh, and, you know, I'm only hearing what, you, what you've said on, on this show now. I didn't really read the article about it, but it sounds that it needs to be investigated even if well, he, I mean, it, for, even for, if he has we had that, We had that number this week, 45% of under 25s won't engage in racing because they consider it to be a cruel sport. And of course, the huge defence that we all would come out with is to say that the horses are treated you know, like royalty, they have a mm. brilliant home. And of course, 99.9% .9 of the time, we all definitely know and believe that to be true. But of course, if cases like this are left unpunished or seemingly unpunished, if, if, if everything's true that's been said in this case, it, it, this just totally undermines all of that. It's pretty horrifying, Tom, isn't it? Yeah. If, if, if all those allegations have any... It shines a particularly bad light on a very bad egg. And succinctly put, talk about the changes to the uh, European pattern, particularly in Britain. Mm. Now, this this piqued your interest. Why? Well, I just thought it was interesting. That it wasn't a huge number of races. I think there were a bunch of listed races. It might have been four. It might have been six. A couple at Salisbury. Uh, I think one's moved from Newbury to Goodwood. A couple at Salisbury have moved to a different part of the calendar. They've been brought forward a month. Uh, and it was basically the patent committee just looking at these races and saying that, well, they will feel a bit better if we juggle them around a little bit. But I thought it was indicative, uh, you know, the, the governance system of, of racing and the way it's controlled has changed recently, as we all know. Uh, and in past years, we've always had the problem that the race courses have a veto and they can block any changes that the BHA want to make. And, and partly that's why the BHA have had their hands tied over the years in terms of making changes for the better for the sport because you know a lot of interest holders in the sport are in favor of things changing uh, as long as it doesn't affect the thing that they're in charge of mm -hmm. uh, and the race courses most people would say I think have got too much power and have, and have blocked changes because it affects their business um, I thought it felt quite good that Courses were prepared to say, we, we don't mind losing a listed race to another course, a competitor, ultimately, because it's for the whole good of racing. I thought that was quite good. Mm. Um, listed listed races are probably quite expensive for race courses. They probably well, don't maybe. Mind, so. Maybe they were glad to get <laughs> shot of it. I don't know. But I, just, I, I, I thought, well, if they can all work together, wouldn't Small the world field, be big a... executive contribution, uh, not guaranteed. Yeah, to yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're more cynical than me, probably. But yeah, I just, I just thought look, if, that, if that could carry on happening, a spirit of cooperation between race courses and racing generally, that would be a good thing. If everybody got on as well as Tom Scudamore and David Pike, <laughs> the world would be a better place. Exactly. The world would be a better place. <laughs> if everyone was less cynical than you yeah. as well. Yeah. Well, that's it for this week's Talking Points.